Hello and welcome to episode 190 of the Samuel and Manuel Movie Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sam Reimer. And I'm uh, Manny Manuel. Oh, we're only in the intro and I already started losing my voice there. I don't know if you heard that. I did. Getting, getting a little hoarse. Oh. A little hoarse, of course, but we will uh, we will power through. We've got the water here. Manny, it is uh, ha- Happy New Year, by the way. This oh. is the first time I'm... I, we forgot to even mention this off air, but uh, I don't think I've seen you since uh, since last year. Uh, no, I won't be one of those people. Oh, that's but, that's funny because the last episode we did, we actually said Happy New Year because it was being released in the new year, but it yes. was actually in 2021 when we recorded it. But for you and I, in our present, this is uh, this is uh, the first time uh, first time interacting in the year 2022. Yes, and uh, <clears throat> I gotta say, Manny, 2022 is off to a a I, I will hesitate to say a rough start, but just a a tiresome start. I am not kicking off the new year rejuvenated and full of energy frankly i feel exhausted oh, right now this this is a shit year for me i can tell you right yeah now. honestly i'm just gonna go back to bed and start anew just forget the last six days ever happened and uh maybe just maybe just start back over again i this would is, be 100 okay with that i'm feeling pretty low energy if we're being honest right now but you know what gets me feeling high energy manny what's that let's talk about good movies with a friend That's fucking today a. fucking a I, on that note, uh, we're going to be kicking off our uh, miniseries on the year 1993 in film. We have gone back quite a ways now, actually. I mean, uh, we started at, I think, 2007 Correct. and have been working our way backwards slowly yeah. over the years. Mind you, there were a couple of those years that were just one episode. Yeah, one well, episode. actually, uh, 2007 to 1999 was one episode. Yeah, and then 1998 was like, oh, there's some good movies this year. We should, we should actually stop and talk about them for a little bit. Yeah. So I, I wish I I wish that we had dove more into exploring each year earlier than we did. Yeah, but if that's the if we had done that, if we had, if we had gone through each movie. Uh, painstakingly like we do now instead of doing five in a week that we somehow did we wouldn't today be talking about the fugitive that which, is uh, yeah. which of course uh came out in 1993 and uh what what is the relevance of this? is this the best picture nominee yeah okay yeah because we have uh we have 12 movies coming up that we're going to be talking about including the 12. fugitive yeah, so each has their own relevance, sort of. Uh, we'll talk about that as we go along through the series. But uh, five of them, of course, are the Best Picture nominees. This is the first of those. The order is a little all over the place, just yeah, because of, of because of scheduling reasons. Yep. And, you know, we wanted to kick the year off with a, with a good movie. And, you know, The Fugitive certainly has that reputation. Mm-hmm. The other, besides being a Best Picture nominee, which would automatically enter it into the movies, this is actually the third highest grossing film of the year. Yeah, back when, back when movies like this could could make a ton of money, even though they don't have superheroes in them. Mm-hmm. The other thing is, well, well, actually, we're not going to talk about it. Do you want to know what the fourth highest grossing film of that year is? You, I don't think you guess. No, okay, I don't know. Because I don't even think I put it on the list of ones for you to watch. Okay. But the fourth highest grossing film in 1993 is The Firm. Oh, which is based off a book. Yes. If I understand correctly. Yeah. Number five is a romantic comedy. And we're covering it. it. Sleepless in Seattle. Oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a completely different time. A movie, I mean, 
the firm even though it still wouldn't gross as much money today it's based off a book which from what i understand was quite popular incredibly popular so like i get it at least even though it wouldn't happen today sleepless in seattle being number five on there is uh, a thing of the past that no longer can happen i'm looking i'm looking at like the top well i'm looking at the top 10 and top 20 grocers of that year and it is mind-boggling <laughs> there was there was some year-end stats for 2021 that was uh i hope i'm probably misremembering this but in my head it was something like disney accounted for 60 percent of box office gross in 2021 do you <laughs> in the u.s yeah it was yeah it was like that do you want to hear another astounding stat for december of 2021 okay spider-man no way home on its own for the month of December accounted for 77% of box office grosses. And I was none of that. I still haven't seen that. What? Yeah, still haven't seen it. That is devastating. Yeah, man. Like I said, we busy these days. If you want to, if you want to take a, a trip back in the Wayback Machine, the top 10 movies in 1993, not one of them is Disney. Wow. Yeah, how things change. The, uh, the Disney Renaissance, I guess, was just kind of beginning in 93, right? Yeah, they have the number 15 film, but it's not animated. Uh, okay, what is it? Yeah, uh, cool Runnings. Oh, boy. Which I have seen. I saw that when I was a kid. That's the Again, 15th we are, we, highest grossing film of 1993. We are, we are now three years prior to my birth. In the, in the going back uh, to 1993. I was born in 96, so we are now... we are n- The movies that we are watching predate me uh, and have for some time. Uh, but Cool Runnings, I have seen precisely once. Yeah, I've seen it precisely and once. I, I, mean, I, was I remember probably, nothing. I was probably like five years old when I watched it or something. Mm. Mm. I'm yes, not remembering I, a bunch. I'm very excited about the movies that we're going to be covering this year. Uh, we have some really great and fun ones picked out, so I'm very excited. And... As always, I'm excited because the majority of them you have not seen. Yeah, yeah. I I have the list somewhere that I, I don't want to pull up right now. But as far as the Best Picture nominees, um, well, The Fugitive, I think, was the... Oh, no, I, uh, two of them, right? Because obviously Schindler's List is the winner, mm-hmm. uh, and I've seen that. But still, probably only... I want to say I've seen it once um, because, I mean, say what you will about Schindler's List, but it's not a profoundly rewatchable film. <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, it's it's an excellent it's an excellently made film, but it's not the kind of one that I would clamor to to rewatch. I, I'm often. I'm I'm in the minority of that. I've probably watched Schindler's List about seven or eight times. I mean, seven or eight times in what twenty six years? Yeah, isn't a ton for a movie of that caliber, and it really is an exceptional movie. It, in spoilers for looking ahead i act it's in the top 10 of the afi and i think that's inarguable yeah i, I personally 100 percent believe that shinner's list is, is one of hands down one of the greatest movies ever made well yeah and i mean you're obviously not alone yeah i think it is pretty much flawless off the top of my head i can't think of something in that movie that i don't think works but we're not here to talk about schindler's list no we're not that is further down the schedule we're here to talk about the fugitive but before we do allow me to remind people where they can find us on social media and that is on instagram and twitter at sam underscore manny underscore movie 
They can follow us on Facebook at Samuel Manual Movie Podcast. They can email us at sammanualmoviepodcast at gmail.com. And I think that's it. That's all I got. I'm just trying to count how many I've actually seen. So we got one, just from 1993. One, two, three, four, five. Seen five? Five of the 12? That's pretty good. Okay. I'm pretty sure I know. Hold on. One, two, three, four, five. Although are you, are you I, ca- are you, you've seen The Fugitive before. Is that one of the yeah, five? Yeah, you know what? Let's call it. Let's call it four because as as we'll talk about shortly, I have seen most of The Fugitive on TV. It's the kind of movie that was always on TV when I was a kid. Okay. And I've seen most of it, and I've seen a number of the iconic moments from it, including the iconic moment. Okay. Um, but I honestly can't say for certain whether i've sat down and watched it front to back ever until now all right all right okay good job well before we get to the fugitive we have a couple things that uh we need to discuss the first up is a i don't know a semi-regular sadly semi-regular section of the show and that is our in memoriam yeah Uh, we lost an absolute icon recently Somebody who is pretty much almost universally beloved. Yeah, I'd say that's a fair assessment. Which is find me someone who doesn't like this person, and I will find you a sad, sad individual. Yeah, and the person that we lost, uh, just so shy of 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 reaching a century mark, uh, is the absolutely lovely Betty White. Yeah, and I mean, if you're listening to this, you probably already know that uh, this was huge news. Uh, on New Year's Eve, mm-hmm. uh, just broke suddenly. Um, I was at work, and one of my coworkers said, "Hey, did you hear Betty White just died?" And I looked on my phone, and it, I don't know how this coworker had even heard because I went on Google, and none of the major news outlets had even broken it. And I had I, I texted some people and was like, "Have you heard anything about Betty White?" And they were like, "No." <laughs> and then I, I thought I was doubting myself for for a minute there, and then sure enough, a few minutes later, um, news started pouring in. Just yeah, a few weeks shy of a hundred, and. I mean, the best we can say about it is that she lived a long and uh, claims to have lived a very happy life, and Mm -hmm. I have no reason to doubt her, and is somebody, as you can see from the outpouring of support over the last week or so, uh, somebody who is incredibly well-respected in the industry, somebody who advocated for civil rights and animal rights and uh, women's rights uh, as far back as her career spans a career which spanned about 80 years about 80 years yeah uh, which is just exceptional so yeah obviously a huge loss that is being felt in the industry uh, right now totally and as per our custom uh, when we have an in memoriam for somebody is we just like to list off uh, some of their memorable performances or things that they've done in the industry uh, that struck a chord with you and I. Sam, you said you had a few uh, for Betty White that, that you'd like to recognize? Yeah, you know what? I looked through her filmography a few days ago, and to be honest with you, if I have seen any of the movies that she's in, it's one she has bit like tiny bit parts in or she seems to have a lot of cameos in things especially Mm -hmm. when it comes to movies um she's more so well known for for tv of course i'd i'd say she's probably most well known from golden girls 100 percent. yeah i uh i never watched golden girls my girlfriend does but i i never have i hear she's hilarious in it and she is it's it's a very enjoyable show uh the two tv shows that are really just 
yeah, the ones that I really know her from, I, I made a, a shocking realization this week that I haven't really seen Betty White in a lot. She's in a couple episodes of Community as the anthropology teacher, mm-hmm. and she's really, really funny in that. She's in a few episodes of a, a TV show I used to watch a lot when I was a teenager, and that's that 70s show. Um, I used to watch a lot of game shows when I was a kid, and she was on a lot of them. Uh, I didn't even realize until researching for this episode just to what extent she was on game shows like uh, $100,000 Pyramid, Match Game. Like she was, she was a recurring staple in a lot of these shows. Hollywood Squares, I think, as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was on a lot of game shows back when they were in their heyday, too. So I think I might know her from those as well. Um, but really, I mean, it comes back to what I said earlier. Even though I hadn't seen a ton of her work, she is kind of the... She's one of the few personalities in the movie industry, in movie and TV, who was bigger than all of it. Like yes. she was just, she, dare I say, she was a celebrity for being a celebrity. I mean, that's usually a uh, a negative term, but I, I mean that positively. Like she was just, uh, she was famous for being famous, and she had been famous for eighty years. <laughs> does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Yeah. Not too diminish the fact that i know she has done stuff and had success i'm not trying to imply that she hasn't but her success is kind of bigger than that she's just somebody that was completely beloved in the industry and by the fans Mm -hmm. and while she never had at least in my lifetime outside of the golden girls never had a smash hit movie or another tv show everyone just loved her and anytime she showed up in anything it just made that show better yeah, and I, I feel that too. Like like I said, even though I have limited uh, experience with her, the I think it's two episodes she's in in Community. She's awesome, and like when she pops up, you're like, oh my god, it's Betty White, and she just has a couple of hilarious one-liners, and then then that's it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for me, the the three things that uh, I'm th- I think of when I hear Betty White, uh, number one is the Golden Girls, hands down, running mm-hmm. away. She is an absolute delight on that show. That show is very enjoyable. Um, but the other two are movies, and she has uh, small supporting roles in it. Um, one is a romantic comedy, The Proposal, with Sandra Bullock and Ryan Reynolds. Uh, she plays Ryan Reynolds' grandma in there. She doesn't have uh, the greatest part, but she makes do with what she has. Uh, she ha- does have a, 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 a scene that does not age well uh, as she uh, culturally appropriates something uh, she shouldn't as a, as a white lady. Nice. Uh, yeah. And uh, the other movie is a absolute fucking blast of a film. Again, she has a small role in it, and that is, I think, most likely it's probably listed as a horror comedy, and that's Lake Placid. Hmm. A fucking delight of a film, Samuel. If you ever get the chance and you ever see Lake Placid on somewhere streaming, I recommend giving it a chance. It is exact. It knows exactly what it is. It embraces it and just has the time of its life. Hmm. Uh, so, yeah. So, that's our, our little tip of the cap to uh, the lovely uh, Betty White, who has left us. I, I hate this. I, I guess I can't say far too soon at living 99 years, but uh, yeah. she was a delight and she will be missed. Uh, moving on uh, from uh, that in memoriam, 
we are raising from the dead a section that we had uh, put on the back burner for a while for time constraints. Uh, we're bringing back to what we've been watching. The the fans let us know that uh, this section of the show was missed, and they would like to see it return. And who are we but caterers to our fans? Customer's always right. I disagree. <laughs> and... Yeah, having worked in customer service, I know that's bullshit, yeah, too. 100%. But in this case, they, uh, the, the listeners happen to be right. Yeah, and you and I are not going to complain about the chance to talk about more movies. Well, that's kind of the thing. Like This section of my mind has always been where this show came from like it was there's this show started before we were hitting record on it it was just you and i bullshitting about whatever we've been watching yes For, forever yes <laughs> you know we've really stayed true to those roots mm -hmm. uh so i have six movies to chime in on uh i'll keep it brief the first one is a movie i knocked off uh, for the 1993 rewatch, which I am uh, in full swing on and uh, very excited. Right on. Uh, this is The Wedding Banquet, a Best Foreign Language Film nominee. And I wanted to check this out because this is by a director that I enjoy, uh, Ang Lee. Mm. Uh, this is his second film. Uh, this is the one that, from my understanding, is the one that really got him noticed um you did watch eat drink man woman didn't you i did and i really liked it yeah this this movie isn't I, I feel that this movie is a little bit of a step down from eat drink man woman obviously like it comes out before so ang lee's growing as an artist um but the plot is to satisfy his nagging parents a gay landlord and a female tenant agree to a marriage of convenience but his parents arrive to visit, and things get out of hand. So kind of, kind of sounds almost uh, like the birdcage from that description. Yes, but this movie isn't exactly played for laughs. As someone that's obviously watched a lot of movies and watched a lot of sitcoms, this plot is perfectly set up for hijinks galore and just a, a, a comedy of errors could occur and the movie isn't quite played like that so at times when you expect you know comical hijinks to happen they don't and while this movie has some funny moments. It's more of a, um, it's more of an introspection on your keeping secrets and repressing your true self. Themes that he really touches on in his later films, such as *Brokeback Mountain*, *Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon*. When you're watching this, you're just like oh wow he really enjoys these themes and you can see him building that craft for the masterpieces that he makes later on um while this movie i said uh, again it, it does have a few comedic moments this isn't quite a 
comedy in the sense that there's a lot of like hilarious moments, but it's lighthearted. But uh, it was it was really good. I ended up giving it a three out of five. Cool. Yeah. Well, uh, you know how I feel about Ang Lee. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we talked about uh, Sense and Sensibility just a few weeks ago. Yeah, another great film. Yeah. He is um, a, a, an amazing director. Uh, this is actually the only place that I could watch this uh, was on Tubi. Uh, mm. T-U-B-I. It's a free streaming service right. that normally has commercials, but m- my viewing didn't have any commercials in it. Oh, well, that's convenient. Yeah, so I, I got to watch it for free. Sweet. Yeah, I was not upset. Uh, the next movie was one that, I, in all honesty, I wasn't that excited to watch, but it finally came down in rental price, so I used one of my many free digital rentals I have at Cineplex, because I go to the movies, and that's uh, the last Daniel Craig movie, No Time to Die. Ah, yeah, the last Daniel Craig Bond. That, that Daniel Craig Bond, thank you. Uh, the plot, James Bond has left active service. His piece is short-lived when Felix Leiter, an old friend from the CIA, turns up asking for help, leading Bond onto the trail of a mysterious villain armed with dangerous new technology. I had started my Daniel Craig Bond rewatch, and I got through the first four. Three. You told me that you skipped Spectre, I think. I did. First three. I did. I'm going to tell you right now, I shouldn't have skipped Spectre. Mm-hmm. No Time to Die relies heavily on a lot of the things that happened in Spectre. Right. And I feel if I had watched Spectre, I would have had a little bit better understanding of some of the stuff that goes on. Not that I, I was lost. I'm like, what's going on? I just was kind of out of touch with some of the things that had occurred in Spectre. So if anybody's wondering if they need to watch Spectre for No Time to Die, I would recommend it, but it's not a requirement because I watched No Time to Die and still had a good time. Uh, I'm going to slap this one right in the middle of the five Craigs. I don't think this comes close to approaching Casino Royale or Skyfall, in my opinion, but I don't think it's nearly as bad as Spectre. And... I, on my rewatch of Quantum Sauce, I actually really enjoyed it, mm-hmm. but No Time to Die is definitely better. It has some pretty. It has one real fucking kick-ass action scene at the beginning, and at the very beginning, there's a pretty, pretty fucking awesome scene that is really not what you're used to seeing in a James Bond film. Right at the beginning, you said the very beginning. Hmm. Yeah, I just uh, I wanted to go check. That this was not uh, this was not Sam Mendes because uh, he directed what two Bond movies? Skyfall Inspector. Yeah. No, this is Kerry Fukunaga, the first non-British person to direct a Bond film. Interesting. Yeah, I'm sure that went over well. Um. Oh, he directed uh, Beast of No Nation. I liked that movie. Yeah, yeah. The cool. uh, visually, this movie's great. Um. It was fine. I-, I give No Time to Die a 3 out of 5. Cool. It's definitely... If you like Bond, if you like Daniel Craig's Bond, it's worth watching. It uh, finishes up his arc, his series, his... Whatever you want to call it. 
very well. Very well. So that's No Time to Die. Three out of five. Uh, the next movie I watched was one that I had already kind of discussed with Sam, but because of the... Hmm. How to say this? Uh, the vastly varying opinions on this film, I thought it best for Sam and I to discuss it on air. And that is the science fiction comedy drama Don't Look Up. Ah, yeah. Uh, the plot of Don't Look Up, two low-level astronomers must go on a giant media tour to warn mankind of an approaching comet that will destroy planet Earth. This movie has one of the strongest casts in recent memory, with Leonardo DiCaprio, Meryl Streep, Jennifer Lawrence, and Jonah Hill, as well as uh, Mark Rylance and Kate Blanchett. And, oh, what's the guy? Tyler Perry. Mm -hmm. There is an absolutely star-studded cast. Timothy Chalamet, Ron Perlman. Yeah. yeah. Oh, right. I Himesh forgot, Patel. I forgot Ron Perlman was in it. Yep. Um, did you finalize your score on this, Sam? On Don't Look Up, I did. Would you give it? Gave it a three. Okay. It's a two for me. Yeah. Uh... This movie is a very in-your-face satire with a very non-subtle way of trying to tell you that it's not a comet that's going to destroy Earth. It is global warming. Yeah. It is... I, I think it could also be read as the pandemic as well. Mm, I didn't quite see that. No, no. But I think I, I saw parallels in both at least. You're, I think you're correct. The intention is probably global warming. Maybe that reading is only, um, given validity by the timing of the movie. The pandemic like, reading. Yeah, just giving given validity by the the fact that it came out in 2021. That's fair. Yeah, that's fair. Um. I'm trying to remember the last time I watched a all-out satire that I enjoyed. And I can't, really. Hmm. Um, this movie didn't resonate with me. Uh, DiCaprio is really great. He has a fantastic moment late in the film when he's on air. Jennifer Lawrence is underutilized. Yeah, someone with her talents doesn't isn't really given much to do. But and her, a bad haircut. Yeah, the thing I did like about her though is that her shock at the disdain that the world and the media is having at these news, she yeah. played that up quite well. Just the disinterest that yeah. they're met with. Um, Kate Blanchett was a highlight for me. I fucking loved her. Mm -hmm. Um. Jonah Hill was really funny. Meryl Streep. Again, you didn't need somebody that. No, that she quality. was she was overcast almost for the role. I agree. If that's a word. Yeah. You know who I you know who she reminded me of the way she was acting that I could have seen in that role, is uh, Kirsten Wig. Yeah. Yeah, you did not need a Meryl Streep to play that character. 
Um, Mark Rylance was scary and creepy as fuck. I like Mark Rylance, and I did not like him in this movie. He was weird. Didn't care for him. Yeah, too weird. Um, was he wearing, like, prosthetic teeth yes. or something like that? Yes. He, he just had this weird overbite going on, which was so creepy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't really know what the intention was with this character. Like, Mark Rylance's character is pretty clearly supposed to be, like, a Steve Jobs type He's like the... I, I saw him as a sort, and I didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah, go. I saw him as like a mix between Steve Jobs, Mark Zuckerberg, and Elon Musk. Yeah, that's and that's fair. But I just, I don't know. <laughs> I think he hit the awkwardness a little, a little too dead on. He was just not, just not personable even in the slightest. Yeah. I guess he was a little, little more Zuckerberg than Jobs. Let's put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> um. I, I I just I, I honestly I just didn't have a good time with this movie. The yeah. the f- the comedy didn't hit me enough for me to fully enjoy it. And I think the acting was really good, but not strong enough for me to see anybody getting a nomination of any sort out of here. Maybe at the Golden Globes they would because yeah. they're because they're such big stars and the Golden Globes will suck their dicks. So they would happily nominate probably the four leads so they could have them all show up at their party. But the Oscars, if somebody gets an Oscar nomination from this film in the acting category, I will be surprised. And I think, and honestly, I think Leo could get a nomination. I'd be disappointed. Really? I don't think, no. I think, I think you're right. Out of all of them, he's the most likely to. But that would be sad. That would be sad. This performance isn't anywhere near the same level as, say, Will Smith and King Richard or Benedict Cumberbatch in The Power of the Dog. Uh, what else would I be thinking of? Yeah, I'd actually have to kind of, I guess I'd have to sit down and see what other lead performances were really great this year. Those those two are locks for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely have Benedict Cumberbatch as my performance of the year so far, but I haven't seen King Richard still. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, don't look up. I, I didn't like it. That's, yeah, I, I wasn't a fan. Two out of five for me. Yeah, I gave it a three. I I enjoyed parts of it. I think Wyatt only got a three. Like, there were moments I enjoyed to a four. There were moments I enjoyed to a two. Uh, I think the biggest downside for me was just I, I found a lot of the characters kind of annoying, honestly. Like, oh, I, I, did not, I did not expect to go into the movie finding Meryl Streep annoying. Yeah, but she kind of was, and Mark Rylance was just kind of irritating at times. Even Jonah Hill, who I really like and who does have some genuinely funny lines, for the most part, is just in a. This is something that I've I think I've said on air before, which is just that screenwriters too often confuse being mean with being funny. They think they're the same thing. Yeah, and a lot of times the comedy in this movie kind of plays that way. It's kind of just Jonah Hill saying mean shit to Jennifer Lawrence for a large portion of the movie. Some of it genuinely works, and some of it actually got a laugh out of me. A lot of it doesn't, as far as I'm concerned. Um, Leo is really a punching bag for a lot of the movies, just people being mean to Leo's character. Mm -hmm. And again, some of it works. I'd say a lot of it doesn't. Um, I think the movie has some smart ideas. Uh, I think it's uh, about as subtle as a comet to the face. (laughs) It's, It's... very much screaming at humankind to wake up and trust the experts uh, on a number of uh, on a number of issues that are facing our society today, namely global warming. Um, 
<laughs> I saw a commenter online say the. Oh, I didn't even. No, you know what? I can't even say that because it's the spoiler. I'll tell you after. Okay. Um, I like a lot of the people associated with this movie. I thought that Leo did a great job, and I think Jennifer Lawrence did a great job, and they're the leads, so the movie largely rested on them, um, doing good work, and they succeeded. I think, uh, the leads did a great job. I like what the movie is trying to say, even though it is not particularly subtle in its saying of it. Um, and I think I liked the ending. I think. Yeah, I still have to kind of think about that. Um, but there was enough that annoyed me about this movie for sure that I could only give it a three. Fair enough. The next movie I watched was one that I was super, super fucking excited to see. Because it's from my boy. Our boy. Aaron Sorkin. Mm. That is Bean the Ricardos. Follows Lucy and Desi as they face a crisis that could end their careers and another that could end their marriage. (sighs) Now, I'm a Sorkin fanboy. Mm -hmm. So I went in very excited to see another Sorkin movie. Now, I don't think he's an exceptionally talented director, but his writing is top of the line. This movie didn't do it for me. Oh, it's too bad. Yeah, it was a, 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 a pretty big letdown. And uh, one of the hardest parts for me was that I would say more than half the time, I just didn't find Nicole Kidman as Lucille Ball. There were times where she, I felt that she got the portrayal correct, and I would lose myself in it, and then she would slip out, and I'd be like, oh, Kate, I've, you've lost me. I, it's not a bad performance. It's just that I'm starting to... I think what it is is I'm starting to kind of get... I'm starting to get tired of all these portrayals of real people. Mm. I and I'm really tired of the academy rewarding people for playing real people. Yeah, for just okay performances. Not even like yeah, and I wouldn't be surprised if she got nominated for this. There's some really good acting that she does. And I don't have a lot of history with Lucille Ball. But I can count the number of I Love Lucy episodes I've watched on one hand, probably. Same. Yeah. And it's probably less than three. Yeah. The movie is fun. It has its moments. It is obviously well-written because it's Aaron Sorkin. But I just don't feel it has that awesome, quick, snappy dialogue that you and I love so much from his scripts. Hmm. I enjoyed the movie, but not to the extent I was hoping, considering who was behind it. I would really, 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 really love for Aaron Sorkin to write something and let someone else direct it. I just don't think he's that strong of a director. Hmm. I gave Being the Ricardos a 3 out of 5. That's a letdown. Yeah. 
The next movie was suggested to me by my seven-year-old daughter. Huh. She wanted to watch... I, I've been begging her to watch a movie with me. And so she wanted to rewatch one she'd watched with her mom and dad. And since it was just the chance to watch a movie with her, I didn't care, even though I had no real desire to watch this movie. And that is Cruella. It's a live-action prequel film following a young Cruella DeVille, starring Emma Stone. Sam, this movie is way better than it has any rights to be. Yeah, I saw you say that in the podcast group chat. I'm very interested. You've been resisting watching this movie since it came out. I had no I I was more than happy to not never watch this movie. This movie was a lot of fun. Hmm. Emma Stone is having the fucking time of her life. The time of her life. And the funny thing is, she's not even the person having the most fun in this movie. That would go to Emma Thompson playing the Baroness. An absolutely delightful addition to the Disney villain pantheon. Hmm. She is amazing. If Emma Stone... To circle back to that joke of a fucking organization, the Golden Globes, I guarantee you Emma Stone was getting a nomination. For this, 100%. Oscar? Mm, I don't know. I think she's having a little too much fun for the Oscars to like it. This is very fun, very campy, having a great time. Now, somebody who I didn't even know was in this movie. Uh, His name is Joel Fry. An actor that you would know. I can't remember his character's name. But he's the dim-witted good friend in Yesterday. Yes. Um, oh, this is in my head for some reason. It's something like Jasper. I don't know if that's correct. Could be wrong about that. Rocky. Rocky. Not even close. Yeah. Um, he's fun in this movie. Um, Paul Walter Hauser, um, plays Horace. So they they play Jasper and Horace, mm. uh, in this movie. The, um, the thugs that uh, Cruella DeVille has in the 101 Dalmatians. Uh, Paul Walter Hauser, he also is having a lot of fun in this movie. I had a really good time with this movie, and it's one that I could see myself coming back to again every once in a while. Um, you you never saw uh, I, Tonya, did you? Nope. You didn't? Uh, nope. Paul Walter Hauser is in that. He's really he's really funny, actually. <laughs> I think he's also in a Clint Eastwood movie um, about the Atlanta bombings at the Olympics. Richard Jewell. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I had I had a lot of fun hmm. with this, Sam. Uh, I gave it a four out of five. That's a surprise. Can we agree that even though you liked this movie, we can still resent the fact that it exists in the first place? Yes. <laughs> yes. And... I'm just really sick of Disney not wanting to come up with anything new. Yeah. Keep churning out the same stuff over and over again. I have nothing against anybody who found delight in Cruella or really who found delight in any Disney movie. It's just 
Disney. Disney is such a big, strong, powerful company. You would think they could hire some writers to create some new properties. That's all I'm saying. 100%. That's one of the reasons I didn't want to see this. Yeah. But, God damn it. They... Alas, it was good. Yeah. God and and I'm, I'm, I shouldn't be complaining that they made a very fun and enjoyable film. Mm-hmm. The last movie I want to talk about is maybe perhaps one of the most polarizing films of the year. Mm. That's a little bit of a, that's a little uh, hyperbole there. I'd say Don't Look Up is probably one of the most polarizing films of the year. I would agree. That's more polarizing than this. But uh, when I posted on Facebook that I was watching this, I got a lot of people asking me how it was, or the people that had seen it had the exact polar opposite reaction than I did. The movie I'm talking about is the fourth film in the Matrix franchise. Oh, I th- I thought you were going with a different movie. Uh, the plot, Return to a World of Two Realities. One, Everyday Life. The other, What Lies Behind It. To find out if his reality is a construct to truly know himself, Mr. Anderson will have to choose to follow the White Rabbit once more. That plot sucks. Okay. I'm just going to tell you flat out, I love this movie. Wow. Okay. I had I had a really good time. And I think it's because I so incredibly thoroughly disliked the sequels to The Matrix that I was just hoping it wouldn't be as bad as those. And this movie, I 100% understand why the people that don't like this movie don't. Because this movie is... Nothing like The Matrix. Nothing. It is nothing like The Matrix movies. It is a complete and utter meta-commentary on everything that went on about the discussion of The Matrix movies to the point where in the film itself, there is a scene... Where one character is talking to Mr. Anderson, Neo, about how their beloved, and this is verbatim, their beloved parent company, Warner Brothers, wants to make a sequel to The Matrix, and they will do it with or without him. Whoa. Yes. That's a, that's a mind fuck. It's a complete meta commentary on Every everybody, all those shitty ass discussions that people had about the Matrix and the sequels is all pretty much referenced in this movie. This is Lana Wachowski's answer to everybody that was talking shit or was a fan of the films. This movie was so completely different from what I was expecting. And that's one of the reasons why I can understand why people didn't like it. People going into this movie hoping to see another Matrix movie will be left would have probably left the theater going, "What the fuck was that?" The action scenes, Sam, not that good. <laughs> Honestly, since the first Matrix, what's your favorite action scene in a Matrix movie? Either um, the highway chase and Reloaded. Okay, that is an excellent scene. Or, um, the only other one I honestly the only other one I can think of is um, the 
the fight um, like in that big, huge, beautiful staircase, and it's in Reloaded as well. Yeah. I I only remember bits and pieces of uh, Revolutions. That's one I'm not sure I've ever seen all the way through. I've seen Reloaded a couple of times, mm-hmm. and I'm not genuinely a fan. Uh, I've always found... My, my go-to reason for why the Matrix sequels were not good is the scene in uh, Matrix Reloaded where he fights all of the Agent Smiths. Yeah, that's called uh, the bur- it's called the Burly Brawl. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, uh, like in in movies and in action movies in particular, you need your heroes to seem vulnerable, i.e., you need them to be able to die. You don't need them to die. But generally, you need them to sustain some sort of damage or at the very least, some sort of consequences. Once Neo becomes Neo fully in the conclusion of The Matrix, sorry if you haven't seen it, spoiler, I guess. Once he becomes Neo, he is just untouchable through all of Reloaded. That yep. Agent Smith scene, like, what I love about Agent Smith as a villain in the first one is that he's built up so well mm-hmm. and he is so powerful. He can basically teleport around the Matrix. He can be anyone. He can outmuscle anyone. He's faster than everyone. He is all powerful, all knowing, and you are un- and he is everywhere at once. He's a god, basically, and that is a scary fucking villain. Neo takes on like a hundred of him in the second one, like without breaking a sweat, basically. Yeah. So I like that. Just feels cheap to me, I guess. Mm-hmm. It just feels like how am I ever supposed to invest? anything into this character when he's that powerful it's just not relatable and i don't ever anticipate him sustaining any damage Mm -hmm. you know what i mean not to mention not to mention it has the most confusing scene in music in movie history the uh the scene where he talks to the architect Mm. in that room full of tvs that is the most confusing explanation in the history of explanations Sorry, that's my rant about the Matrix and specifically Matrix Reloaded. It's fine. I I, I really want to rewatch the trilogy. I wish I, in all honesty, I kind of wish I had prior to this. Not not that you actually have to for Matrix Resurrections. It, it's definitely not a requirement. Mm-hmm. But I had a really good time, and I think I I think I enjoyed it so much because I went in with such incredibly low expectations, and I just found myself having a really good time. I like what they did. I like the way they took it. They, I, th- I think they concluded that story. I, at the end of that movie, I don't know what stories they could tell afterwards. I, at, at least in regards to these characters. So you know, if they made another Matrix movie but had nothing to do with Neo and Trinity and Morpheus, I would probably be on board. But I think that they did a really nice conclusion to these character stories. I, I, like I said, I completely understand and respect people that watched it and hated it. I get it. I can understand why if you wanted to watch another Matrix movie. But for me, this was a, a kind of a breath of fresh air. I'm like, it was nothing like I expected, and I had a really good time with it. Yeah, um, I think I've only talked to one other person who has seen this movie and I won't name them, A, because they don't listen, B, because they're not the kind of person whose movie opinion I really respect all that much. Uh, <laughs> they, they hated this movie. Hated it with, to, like, to their very core. Yep. And, and I've told you numerous times. I can, I can understand why. Because they probably went in thinking they were going to see another Matrix movie. And they should. It's called The Matrix Resurrections. But mm-hmm. it is nothing. Nothing. Like the other ones. <laughs> 
Uh, do you have a rating for it? Four. Cool. That's a, that's a huge surprise for me. Yeah. All right. Sam, my pathetic attempt to make that quick failed. Failed epically, as it always does with us. We, yes. we knew this was coming, though. What, uh, uh, what have you been watching? So, yeah, let me pull these back up here. Um, I... I have not I've been busy watching movies somewhat just not the ones that I should classic me oh, uh, I want I want to talk about this movie that Emma and I just put on something random one day off Netflix um, like did you hit the random button no we didn't hit the random button we just scrolled around no oh, this this seems interesting let's give it a go um, it's the squid and the whale uh, from 2005 um, follows two young boys dealing with their parents' divorce in Brooklyn in the 1980s. This is a Noah Baumbach movie. So uh, this is the guy who did uh, A Marriage Story, which is a movie that both you and I really enjoyed. I think I had that as my fourth best movie that year, although it's probably since fallen down the ranks, as a few other movies from that year in 2019 have elevated, namely Booksmart and Knives Out, I think. Nice. Uh, Knives Out, yes. Yeah. Um, but anyway, um, so that was my experience with Noah Baumbach, this director, going in. And uh, so, so I was really excited to see some of his older work, uh, something that I hadn't seen or heard of uh, with a pretty good cast. Um, you have uh, Jeff Daniels, Laura Linney, and Jesse Eisenberg uh, playing the main roles, as well as somebody named uh, Owen Klein, uh, who never really did anything, but he's one of the sons in the movie. Um, this is very similar stylistically to a marriage story. It's about a marriage falling apart. Uh, and it's, a, it's more so about the children, I guess, than it is about the actual parents. But uh, Jeff Daniels character is fascinating in this movie. He's a, uh, he's a, he's a, I think a literature professor, li professor, Jesus, I can't talk right now, professor of literature. Um, and he's the most egotistical, narcissistic, uh, pseudo-intellectual person on planet Earth. He thinks he is the smartest person in every room that he's in. He's constantly looking down on people. Like uh, One of the recurring lines that he keeps using in the movie is like, I don't know, somebody brings up a Charles Dickens novel that they really like, and he goes, mm, it's it's minor Dickens. You know, it's not it's not real Dickens. It's minor Dickens. And it'll be some like super popular book. And his son, uh, played by Jesse Eisenberg, looks up to him so much that he's constantly parroting this about books that he's never even read. He'll just be like, oh, that's just that's minor Dostoevsky. It's not it's not really <laughs> it's not really some of his best work. There's a lot of really funny, quirky lines and quirky scenes in this movie. Um, I don't think this movie will be for anyone. Uh you know, it's only an hour and 21 minutes and it's on Netflix. I found it really funny and really charming. I thought Jeff Daniels characterization was excellent. If there's anyone who's underutilized a bit, I think it would be Laura Linney. She's a superb actress and, uh, you know, she does a great job in the movie, but her character doesn't really have a lot to do. But uh, this movie really revolves around uh, the characters played by Jeff Daniels and Jesse Eisenberg, who are father and son, and their uh, play off of each other and them both trying to maneuver this incredibly emotional and divisive time in their family. Uh, Manny, have you ever heard of this movie? Oh, heard of it, yeah. I keep yeah. wanting to watch it and just keep failing at my attempts. It's a really good family study, I think. It's a, it's a really uh, touching, at times disgusting, at times a incredibly emotional movie. I had a, I had a blast with it. Um, there are... There were a couple times, honestly, through this movie, I considered giving it a five because I'm like, wow, this is just 
really enjoyable and really fun. I think there's a couple of parts that I could do without even in an hour, 20 minute movie. I think in particular, the fact that Laura Linney isn't, isn't really doing a whole lot. And the other son, uh, the younger son played by Owen Klein, isn't the most interesting character in the world to me. Uh, but, you know, uh, this was a solid four. It was a great movie. Nice. All right, another one uh, that is not the one that I should have watched, but is has been on my list for a little bit. Um, I just got to pull it back up here. Uh, the 2018 drama with uh, Steve Carell and Timothy Chalamet, Beautiful Boy. Mm. Uh, let me just pull up the plot again here. Uh, based on the best-selling pair of memoirs from father and son David and Nick Sheff, Beautiful, Beautiful Boy chronicles the heartbreaking and inspiring experience of survival, relapse, and recovery and a family coping with addiction over many years. Uh, this is a heavy fucking movie. This is a tearjerker, and you have to be emotionally prepared to walk into this one. Uh, the performances are both great by Steve Carell and Timothy Chalamet, again, as father and son. Uh, it's really heartbreaking the way the movie is able to show you through a father's eyes what wasted potential looks like of a guy just given every opportunity and every gift just throwing it away because of ad addiction troubles and have basically having it taken from him um and not really realizing the path he was going down until it was too late and it's uh timothy chalamet's performance is amazing it's almost like he's playing two different characters like playing uh this this kid nick pre-addiction and post-addiction it's like two completely different people um it's some excellent performances and uh it's not the kind of movie that i would say i had a blast during but um i thought the performances were excellent and uh it devastated me in a lot of ways have you seen this one nope no it's uh it's not a lot of fun <laughs> but it's a good movie uh i i gave uh, beautiful boy a four nice yeah look at you uh, moving along from there, what do I have? Okay, I was surprised that you didn't uh, talk about this one. Um, the 2021 movie that I did cross off my list over the last couple of weeks uh, was The Power of the Dog. Mm. Uh, charismatic rancher Phil Burbank inspires fear and awe in those around him. When his brother brings home a new wife and her son, Phil torments them until he finds himself exposed to the possibility of love. This is a movie I did not really know what to think about. I went in with no expectation. I just knew it was 2021, and I was pretty sure that Benedict Cumberbatch's performance was relatively well-received in it. But that was basically it. I didn't know the plot. Uh, both him and Kirsten Dunst are quite good in the movie, in particular Benedict Cumberbatch. Uh, you mentioned already, or I guess we both kind of mentioned already, he's going to be one of the front runners for Best Picture it's, at this point. Well, I per, Okay, quick segue. Yeah. I think this is winning Best Picture. I think Jane Campion's winning Best Director. And I think he's going to lose the Best Actor race to Will Smith. Mm -hmm. uh, it's an exceptionally well-shot movie. It is a slow burn. It is subtle. Uh, there is a lot of scenes that play out with limited dialogue. There's a great scene uh, of the world's creepiest jam session, I guess, <laughs> between uh, Benedict Cumberbatch on banjo and Kirsten Dunst on piano. Um, there's a lot of really great scenes in this movie. What my favorite thing about the power of the dog, I think 
outside of Benedict Cumberbatch's performance is the way it plays with your expectation. Yes. There are certain there are certain tropes in this genre that you just expect to happen. There's a lot of there's a lot of things in the buildup in this movie um, where, especially when you've watched as many movies as Manny and I, you know, your brain just instantly goes to certain places. And I'm, I mean, like, like I think there's a, a lot of conclusions people would reach about this movie um, at the halfway point, say, um, that do not come true. Like, there's yep. a lot of things in this movie that don't come true. A lot of things don't come to fruition. I really like that. It really does a good job of playing with your expectations. And uh, the ending of this movie is spectacular spectacular power of the dog gets a four from me it is a slow burn of a movie it's not insanely watchable um sorry rewatchable jesus not not insanely rewatchable um but it is so incredibly technically well made it kept me guessing at every turn and it is very very tense so uh that oh the character of uh i gotta i gotta look up his name um Phil Burbank, played by Benedict Cumberbatch. That character is uh, is a great character study of him. He's a terrible human being. I hated watching him, uh, as the plot on IMDb put it, torment the people around him, mm-hmm. including his brother and the woman he loves. He just is a bitter, resentful human being who stops short of getting my pity in a lot of spots because of how terrible he is. And uh, the movie, it's kind of a bold choice to write a movie about someone like this because of how unrelatable they are typically. But the, the screenplay finds a way to make even this terrible excuse for a human being. The script finds a way to make him relatable. So yeah, power of the dog is a, is a really well-made movie. Um, it's a slow one, but a good one. Four stars. My recommendation, if anybody's thinking about watching this movie, is I implore you to tough it out until the end. It is a slow burn, but I promise you that the ending makes it worthwhile. Cool. And then uh, the only other thing I really wanted to talk about is not a movie at all. It is uh, I am preparing for... Uh, I'm preparing for season four of Ozark to come out uh, later this month. So uh, we have been watching Ozark all the way through. We've been binging it. Uh, We just finished season two the other night. So uh, Ozark is a, is a Netflix series uh, that Manny and I have talked about many times before. We actually, there was a, an unfinished project (laughs) back in the day of Manny and I, where we were going to be doing uh, sort of, uh, we were going to tack on, mini episodes i think we just called them mini sodes we're, we're gonna tack on mini sodes to the end of every week uh to talk about one episode of ozark per week uh and that did not happen no nope. <laughs> we uh we got too too caught up in everything else and i think we both just wanted to watch ozark as we wanted to we just wanted to binge it uh so that that never came to fruition but suffice it to say it is a series that if i may speak for you uh, i think it's a favorite of both of us would you agree yeah it's uh, especially in modern tv shows tv shows that are still running it uh, it's a great one um i don't have the imdb plots and opposites in front of me but basically it's about uh, a man named marty bird uh who launders money for the mexican uh cartel he is um he's in finance 
he's I don't know exactly what he was before. He was like an investor or um, a broker. Um, he had his own firm uh, in Chicago and then uproots his family to the Ozarks uh, to launder money for the Mexican drug cartel. And uh, it is a phenomenal series. Uh, Jason Bateman plays the role of Marty Bird. He also directs a number of the episodes. And one of the great joys of this series on uh, what is now probably about my third rewatch of it. I think I've seen season one probably about four times now, season two about three. This will be my second or third watch of season three as well. And then obviously season four comes out later this month. Um, one of the great joys of watching this series is the creative ways that the writing gets Marty out of problems. We've thrown around the phrase deus ex machina on the show before. Mm -hmm. That is when basically forces outside of a character's control save them from a situation. And oftentimes that can be seen as cheap. It can be seen as robbing the character of some form of agency. So often, as a writer, it is a good idea to have decisions that the characters make either get them out of a situation or not get them out of it. Marty Bird is a master of speech. He's not a strong or physically imposing person. He's always wearing a dorky little button-up and khakis and carrying around a briefcase. He is not a physically intimidating person. What he can do is talk, and he can, he can find his way out of situations creatively like nobody else on TV. There is, an, there is a scene in the second episode of Ozark where he has to convince somebody who stole $3 million from him to give it back just by talking to them <laughs> he has to convince them to he has to convince somebody to give back his money and not kill him and he, the way that the writing does that is still amazing to me today there are so many situations like that where the only weapon he has is his voice and it's been a delight to go back and revisit all of these moments mm -hmm. um it's a well-shot series. It all looks great. It takes place uh, in uh, in the Ozarks in Missouri. Um, in my opinion, so we just finished season two. We're going to be watching season three coming up here. Um, season two is a little bit of a step back from season one. I agree. It, it gets a little bit more political. It's not bad, but it's, uh, it's a step back. It focuses its energies kind of in the wrong areas, I think. Um, but there's still a lot to offer in it. I am really excited for season three. Um, I won't spoil anything, uh, but Manny, uh, you remember uh, the character who's introduced yep. and the and the consequences of that storyline that that character is introduced into. It's episode one of my favorite nine? Things. Is it yep. episode nine? Yep. Yep. Season three, episode nine is one of the best episodes of television I've ever seen. Yep. Speaking of episode nines, holy shit, season one, episode nine is told completely out of chronological order. It's like, uh, do you remember that episode? It's yep. called Kaleidoscope. It's all a bunch of weird flashbacks. Uh, and it's all on the topics of destiny and fate. Um, and Mar Marty is always saying in the show that, uh, you know, n not everything happens for a reason. Sometimes shit happens and people react. And that's one of the main themes of the show. I, I think it's a, it's a brilliant, brilliantly written show. And uh, I'm really excited to see how they close it out. Uh, I, I think they have said, correct me if I'm wrong, Manny. I think they've said season four is the final season of the show. I have no idea. I may have to look that up. If it is, I kind of hope that it is, uh, because I think most of the greatest shows of all time, uh, namely Breaking Bad, uh, <laughs> they end before they get bad. Yep. They tell the story they want to tell, and they get out. Yep. And 
they don't waste a second trying to stretch it out for the sake of the network or for the sake of the characters, or the actors or anything. They tell the story and they leave. And I, uh, I hope to get that in season four of Ozark. But if anyone hasn't watched it yet, uh, highly, highly recommend. It's on Netflix. Agreed. And so that's what we've been watching. Wow. That took longer than I expected, but that's all yeah. good. Yeah, that's, that's all good. That's what people wanted. That's what they get. That people got it. Yeah. So let's dive into the first film that we're reviewing for our 1993 revisit, and that is The Fugitive, uh, released August 6, 1993, directed by Andrew Davis, uh, written by Jeb Stewart, David Twoey, based off characters by Roy Huggins, uh, starring Harrison Ford, Tommy Lee Jones, and Celia Ward. has a Metascore of 87. It won one Oscar uh, for Best Supporting Actor for Tommy Lee Jones. Had seven more nominations, uh, Best Picture, Best Cinematography, Best Sound, Best Film Editing, Best Sound Effects Editing, and Best Original Score. It had a budget of $44 million. It grossed $183 million, making it the third highest grossing film domestically in, in 1993, and it finished at 368 worldwide. The plot, Dr. Richard Kimball, unjustly accused of murdering his wife, must find the real killer while being the target of a nationwide manhunt led by seasoned U.S. Marshal. Sam, you mentioned that you had seen this in pieces, in parts. So this is probably, most likely, your first full viewing of the film The Fugitive. I would say so. Why don't you give us your spoiler-free thoughts on this Best Picture nominee? The 90s. What a time when a movie like this was nominated for Best Picture. And I don't mean that disparagingly. This is an insanely fun movie right mm -hmm. from the beginning. Um, the movie gets going right away. We have a murder, a bus crash, a simultaneous train crash, a foot chase, and a guy jumping off a dam within about the first 30 minutes of the movie. It's just breakneck out of the gate. I love that the movie doesn't waste time to get going. I do somewhat feel the best parts of the movie are mostly in the first act. Mm -hmm. uh, that's not to say the rest of the movie is bad by any stretch. There's a number of great moments, but it becomes almost a little bit more of a, like, like almost an espionage movie or like a, like a, I mean, it's a, it's about a fugitive. It's about a guy sneaking around trying to find clues and solve the murder of his wife. Um, whereas the first 30 minutes of the movie are a little bit more in the action genre, I, I guess, yep. if that makes more sense. 100%. So it, for me, it was a bit of a jarring change. You know, I've mostly watched this movie in pieces, as I've said. So seeing um, kind of one movie in the first half and another movie in the second half was uh, was strange to me. But you know what? The movie the movie's great. Uh, it's mostly pretty well paced. Uh, there's um, <laughs> you, you mentioned that it won one Oscar uh, Best Supporting Actor for Tommy Lee Jones whose performance I really like in the movie and whose character I really like, and he's given all of the best written lines in the movie. But that is surprising to me. You didn't know that? I didn't know that. I didn't know Tommy Lee Jones <laughs> won Best Supporting Actor for this role. Based on only the performance, I don't really get it, if I'm being honest. I, I think, like I said, I think Tommy Lee Jones is a very talented actor, and I like his performance in this movie. And he's given the benefit of the best parts of the script. But given in particular one other name on that list that year, 
that is that is a surprising win to me. Do you know do you know who I'm referring to? I would have to go with uh Ray Fiennes. Yes. Yeah. He would he would have been my pick over Tommy Lee Jones any day. Yeah, he should have won. He absolutely should have won. Um this this win feels like a bit of a head scratcher for me. But it's not bad. It's no. just not that good. This is and, and this is this is I Okay. I'm gonna take Ray Fines out of the equation. Yeah. Okay? I'm gonna take him pretend, out of the equation. Yeah, pretend Schindler's list was a ninety two or a ninety four. Yeah. I love that Tommy Lee Jones wins for this kind of role in an action thriller having the time of his life fun role. This movie launches Tommy Lee Jones into stardom. He had been toiling away. He'd definitely had big roles. He has a, a really big role, and I think he got nominated the year before um, for JFK, which is a movie I am fucking pumped for you to watch. Um, just going to double-check that, see if I was right. Uh, I think you're correct. That makes sense to me. Oh, sorry, it's two years prior. Oh, no, no. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, sorry, two years prior, 91. Yeah. So it's not like Tommy Lee Jones is an unknown, um, but this is the movie that launches him into the uh, into the stardom. After this, uh, you know, it's only two or three years later, three years later, he's in Men in Black, and he gets uh, a, a lot of other roles um, because of this. So him... Samuel Gerard is a character I fucking love. Yeah, and there's a spin-off of this with him, right? Yeah, US Marshals. Hmm. Which if you like that crew, his uh-huh. Marshall crew, and you like the character of Sam Gerard, then the movie will be entertaining to you. It's nowhere near as good as this. And it's because they basically try to recapture the exact same story. It's I'm not even lying. It's almost the exact same story. Oh, interesting. It's, it's Sam Gerard chasing down, and this isn't spoilers, a wrongfully accused man. <laughs> really? Yes. Oh, that's a shame they would go back to that. Yes. The only... Mm, mm, yeah. I, I, I was going to say, I'm like, there is a difference, but if I do that, that's, uh, it's a bit of a spoiler. Mm-hmm. If you ever see U.S. Marshals somewhere streaming and you want to have some some fun, like just an easy, relaxing time... 100% watch it. They add Robert Downey Jr. to the cast, and the person they're chasing is Wesley Snipes. Oh. It's, it's, a, it's a perfectly decent action movie. Perfectly decent. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, sorry. I, I, I derailed your discussion there. I think I, think I was pretty much done with. Okay. Uh, I would summarize it all by saying I, I really respect the movie for – getting going instantly mm-hmm. and never really stopping it it does undergo in my opinion a bit of a tonal shift from first act to second but that's fine I, I can totally get on board with that especially if the movie's good which it is um i have yet to even mention harrison ford but he has a superb acting scene actually like right off the get-go uh when he's being interrogated he has a great bit of acting and then for the rest of the movie he's um i'd say just doing the job like not a bad performance not really a great performance just um, surviving, and I mean that's really what his character is doing. So, um, I had a great time with this. There were 
yeah, I, I think I think I'll leave it at that. This was just a really fast paced, like a, a well paced, uh, well acted action movie uh, with some with some really good writing, and I had a really good time. Okay, you do. Um, yeah, I, I've always enjoyed this movie. Uh, I'm pretty sure I didn't see it in theaters. I probably saw it when it hit home video, and always had a good time with it. It's, I I think it is really well done. Do I think it's a Best Picture nominee? It's something we'll discuss later on, and definitely in our thirteenth episode of this miniseries. But we'll see. Uh, we'll see how it stacks up as I continue to chip away at more nineteen ninety three films. <laughs> you know what? I was. I, I will just say before we get into the uh, spoiler section, just I was really surprised to see how overwhelmingly positive the reception for this movie was. And again, I I keep saying things like this and it sounds like I didn't like it. I really liked this movie, but I'm looking at an 87 Metascore. I, I, a best picture nomination, third highest grossing movie of the year. This, this movie was a fucking smash hit. And I don't know if I really get that, but it was great. Like it, it was, it was a lot of fun and I had a good time, but that is like, this was insanely well received at the time. Oh, big time. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh, fuck it. Let's just get into spoilers. Let's just start breaking this thing down. Spoilers for the fugitive in three, two, one. A go. Fuck yourself. Like you said, they waste zero time. We get a murder and a trial before the credits are done rolling. Yeah. <laughs> They want to get it going right away. Uh, that opening title card, so wonderfully 90s. <laughs> it's like they took the Die Hard 2 title card and just copied and pasted and changed changed the letters. Yeah. It's like the same thing. I, I love it. Um, I, I do love this, this opening, I guess for lack of a better word, this opening credit scene. Mm-hmm. Them just kind of showing the flashbacks and the murder and the arrest and the trial all in the matter of what feels like five minutes. And some great aerials of Chicago. Yes. Um, speaking of the aerials of Chicago, I wonder if I have that in my notes. But um, I did listen to the director's commentary. Uh, it had uh, Andrew Davis and Tommy Lee Jones on the commentary. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tommy Lee Jones, mm, all-time worst uh, movie commentary person of all oh, time. Oh, really? Yeah. He starts off talking with Andrew Davis. Andrew Davis mentions that Tommy Lee Jones' character doesn't show up uh, until I think around minute 13 or 15. Tommy Lee Jones doesn't say another word until his character comes back up on screen. Huh. And then barely says anything for the rest of the of the show. He'll, he'll chime in every once in a while, but it's rarely ever anything of note. It was one of the most unentertaining commentaries I'd listened to. It was uh, it was Tommy Lee Jones and Andrew Davis. Yeah. Uh, okay. Lo- um, oh, go, I don't really know Andrew Davis. I don't think. No, I'm just trying... I don't. I don't think you'd know a lot of his films. Oh, you know what I have seen of his? This, mm. this is really funny. Uh, I think I've told you about the uh, the kids' movie. I think it's a Disney movie. It's a movie based on a book called Holes. Oh, uh, is that with, by him? It, yeah, it was. Oh, uh, wow. It's uh, with Shia LaBeouf, and yeah. it's one that I've seen several times actually like i watched it several times in my childhood and once again recently uh yeah you gave it a four if i remember correctly yeah it's a it's a uh 
in my head, I gave it a three. I may have to double check, but if okay. I gave it a four, that's not surprising. It's a it's a fun movie. Um, but yeah, that's also Andrew Davis is the is the point. Yeah, he he. Oh, uh, why why I was talking about that is um, the reason you get a lot of aerial shots of Chicago is his intention was to show you that trying to find somebody in this city is like looking like for a needle in the haystack. Oh. Okay, I can I can see that. Yeah, I like that. I was like, oh, that's a cool idea. Mm-hmm. Um, the cops arresting Harrison Ford, dumbest cops of all time. Yeah, they're they're in contention. They're and not in regards to their ability as police officers, but them trying to pin the murder on him because he has a life insurance policy on her. When he's a fucking heart surgeon? Yeah. <laughs> Have you, Did you see the apartment that they live in? Yeah. He was or, clearly in it for the money. Yeah. And so I was just like, oh, I've always hated that part. But that scene, uh, the interrogation scene at the beginning, um, Harrison Ford didn't know the questions that were going to be asked of him. I have heard that a lot of the dialogue in this movie was improvised, especially the scenes between Tommy Lee Jones and Harrison Ford. Yep. Tommy Lee Jones, um, they did a lot of uh, – they, they said they didn't think of it as improv, but they went into each scene knowing where they wanted to get to and what their the intent of the scene was. And so they just allowed the actors to kind of do what they want to get to where they needed to go, especially the U.S. Marshal crew. They got to riff as much as they wanted as long as they got the point that they needed to get across. I, I believe that in the industry is called the Mike Lee approach. <laughs> yes, except this is much more entertaining. Yeah, much more entertaining than Secrets and Lies. Yes. Um, this scene here, in my opinion, uh, the interrogation scene, I think this is Harrison Ford's strongest moments. I was wowed. I was absolutely floored by uh, his acting in the scene. He seems like he's barely registering the questions and he's just robotically pumping out answers. He's numb in the beginning of the scene. Yeah. And then slowly you can see the rage boil over in him when he realizes what exactly is happening in this mm-hmm. room. Um, my next note is his lawyer sucks balls. Yeah. He... <gasps> yeah. No, worst lawyer ever. Like, worse than Tim Robbins' lawyer in Shawshank. Yeah. He has no motivation to kill his wife. They they show that in public, they are a very loving couple. There's no financial problems. And he gets labeled with a first-degree murder charge? Based on the phone call, which is so incredibly vague. Yeah, that what what an unfortunately time or what an unfortunate phrasing for her to use on the phone call, though. Yes. Like, I I don't think it's out. Any lawyer worth his salt could have listened to that phone call, though, and been like, uh, she's addressing Richard. It's not Richard, period. He's going to kill me. It's Richard, comma. He's going to kill me. Yes. A crucial difference. Yeah. Crucial. And any lawyer worth his salt could have made that claim. Yes. But not this one, apparently. No. It was, it was, it was rough to watch. Yeah. Um, 
hold on, I just want I want to double check something here. Shit. Uh, go off for for a second. Um, so he's found guilty, facing execution. Uh, <laughs> apparently they had gone back and forth on whether to actually say or, or whether to actually sentence him to death or whether to actually uh, sentence him to life in prison. I think the weight of being caught, or I, I guess uh, the, the consequences of being caught feel a lot more severe if he's facing the death penalty, so I think that's a good call. Um, I also wanted to comment that one of the guards, uh, now I guess we're sort of going into the uh, transport truck, one of the guards is uh, Richard Rila from Office Space. He's the guy, he's the guy who, uh, who claims that he has people skills and yes. then uh, tries to kill himself and then comes up with an invention <laughs> with his million dollar settlement. You find what you were looking for, Manny? No, I can't find it. No, that's okay. I, mm, yeah, I can't find it, so I, I can't waste any more time on it. Um, so he, within minutes, he has uh, been accused and found convicted of murdering his wife. He is now a member of the Department of Corrections and is being loaded on a bus taken to a new jail. Where a escape attempt is made, a guard is shivved using a toothbrush, and an accident... Didn't work out well for the guy who shivved him. No. No, he got a hole blown in him. Yes, he did. Uh, a pretty bad uh, bus crash. Uh, stops on a train track, and uh, one convict uh, escapes. One guard is a chicken shit and flees the scene and leaves uh, Dr. Richard Kimball to try and save one of the guards while trying to escape from a bus before a train crashes into it. Uh, the inside, the, the brief, brief cuts to the inside of the bus while it's rolling, very effective. Yes. Very well edited and uh, very well shot. Um, I have to imagine these are quick cuts because I... I would wager, even, I couldn't say for sure because the shots are so quick, but I would bet we're watching dummies fly around, uh, fly around a bus as it's rolling. Um, or I'm not exactly sure how they would have shot this otherwise. I don't know. Uh, there is one, I think they do show one, one moment where you see, um, you see Harrison Ford fly into the window, basically. Yeah. Yeah. That was Harrison Ford doing it. And all he did was throw himself into the window. And Andrew Davis said he was a pretty good trooper, buddy. He really threw himself into that window. Wow. Yeah. Kudos to him for that. Um, but yeah, the the bus crash looks fucking incredible. The train crash, a little bit less so. I mean, it still looks great for the most part. But there's the one shot of Harrison Ford jumping out. Yeah, that, uh, they didn't have di they didn't have digital at that time, so they had to do it on a plate. Re respect that entirely. Hasn't aged very well with the modern technology that we have, but that's literally like a what, blink and you miss it moment anyway. But the, uh, the bus crash scene done practically one shot at it. I think one shot. Yep. Yeah. It's great. Um, so the question for you, bus crashes, you've saved the guard's life. The other guard has taken off somewhere. I don't know where it is. Would you run? You're Dr. Richard Kimball. You are, 
falsely accused of murdering your wife, are you going to try and run, or are you sticking around and take and and taking that uh, that that prison sentence or death sentence? Yeah, I'm running. Yeah, I'm running. The death penalty? Yeah, I'm running. No, life in prison still probably running. Same. I think the likelihood of running uh, is inversely proportional to the length of term, basically. Agreed. If, if I if I'm going to jail for a 30 day stint, yeah, okay, I probably stick around. Don't oh, I'm 100 percent sticking around. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, if we're getting the uh, either the death penalty or the Andy Dufresne treatment, yeah, I'll uh, I'll be high talented out of there. Fair enough. Then our boy arrives, Sam Gerard. And his U.S. Marshals. And what can be said, maybe one of my favorite character actresses of all time? Yeah, him uh, taking over the investigation from, uh, I, I can't remember who it is. Is it, is it like state police or something like that? Yeah, probably just state police. Yeah. Yeah, that moment of him uh, entering and taking away the investigation, uh, being the one to ask all of the questions... I have to, <laughs> when when he says, ah, well, shit, Sheriff, I'd hate to see that happen. I guess I'll just take over your investigation. Yep. It's a, such a cutting line. Um, Got to give a shout out to uh, Joe Pantoliano, an actor that uh, whenever I see him in something, I just got to give him a little tip of the cap. You know, he's, he's always good in whatever he's in. As Cosmo. Yeah, as Cosmo. Big fan. I found what I was looking for. Okay, what's up? Uh, the person that played the lawyer is John and Ju Joan Cusack's dad. Oh, really? Yes. What's his name? Well, why do you have to ask the hard question? <laughs> I thought you said you found it. <laughs> uh, Dick. His name is Dick. Oh, okay. Dick Cusack. I thought you were just cursing. No, Dick Cusack. Okay. Um, I love Samuel Gerard. I love Tommy Lee Jones' performance. His chemistry that he has with his U.S. Marshals crew is phenomenal. You'd think that these people had been in numerous movies together. The way that they play off each other, the way that they act with each other, the way that their dialogue works so well. I had every scene with the U.S. Marshals was one that I loved. Mm -hmm. It was an absolute joy to watch these actors work together. Um, like you said, I love how he takes over the investigation. Yeah, I, I'd say, I mean, I, I mentioned a few times that Tommy Lee Jones is given most of the best lines in this movie. I think three or four of them are right here in this scene. Like, there's just, like, great line after great line after great line. The, uh, uh the one where he says, I'll just take over your investigation. Um, and then the, the whole outhouse, henhouse, doghouse yeah. rant is hilarious. I don't know if this is him. This might be actually someone else. But somebody asks um, the guard, "Do you want to change your bullshit story, sir?" <laughs> that, that's uh, that's the uh, the African American woman in his crew. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's like so many lines in the scene, just one after the other, that is just so good at introducing this crew. Uh, yeah, I can't find her name either. Jesus Christ. The way they list these characters is horrible. Mm -hmm. Where are you watching? Or where are you uh, looking? IMDb. Poole. L. Scott Caldwell. That's her mm -hmm. name. Unpopular opinion, but Wikipedia much better for uh, movie information, at least as far as the cast list is concerned. Yeah, 
the only problem is that they don't come with pictures. Yeah, you can hover your mouse over them, though. Mm. Uh, Kimball's on the run. Goes to the hospital. It's one of the rare times we see somebody in a stressful situation actually eat. Yep. Always. And he, st he steals from an old man. Yep. Steals food and drink. Yep. He uh, probably would have too. I find this scene very enjoyable. Him at the hospital, and then the chase begins. Mm -hmm. um, I love when they trap him in the tunnel, and the two crews come together, and <laughs> Gerard and his other guy are just like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> I, I love it. There's like, how is it possible that this guy escaped when he's in a tunnel? Um, we have that chase in the tunnels underneath in the, I guess, aqueduct of the dam. Or yeah, whatever you want to call it. I think I think it's called a viaduct in the uh, in yeah. the in the plot. All right. But, yeah. Uh, and we get to the big iconic scene. The I didn't kill my wife. I don't care. I don't care. The way he delivers that line, <laughs> absolutely fucking golden. I've heard that was also workshopped by Tommy Lee Jones. It was originally. Um, that's not my problem. Yeah. I think. Yep. Yeah, and Tommy Lee Jones workshopped it a little bit, so kudos to him for that. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, and then, are you jumping if you're Kimball? No, I don't think I am. Yeah. I, you, know, you know how I am with water. You remember the Titanic oh, episode. Right. Yes. I don't think I can. I don't think I can jump off this. Um, running when there's nobody around is one thing, but at gunpoint, Choosing, choosing between going with the guy holding the gun and jumping to almost certain death. Eh, yeah. I gotta, I think I gotta go with the guy with the gun and hope that my shitty lawyer comes through with some new evidence. Yeah, I don't know. I might jump. I don't blame you, honestly. I wouldn't blame anyone for jumping here, but uh, I don't know if I could do it. Um, more great scenes here with Gerard. Uh, I love how one of the state troopers says, you know, like Kimball's dead and, you know, the fish probably ate him. And so Gerard's like, well then get a rod, catch that fish. I want, I want, I want his body. Yeah. Uh, just absolutely great. Like I said, anytime Sam Gerard is on screen, I'm having a good time. Uh, Kimball of course survives the jump. Uh, It'd be a short movie if he didn't. Yeah. I, I do like there's one shot of the dam uh, <laughs> with him falling off where it's very clearly a dummy. Yes. Like, obvi obviously, Harrison, Harrison Ford didn't actually do this. Yeah. <laughs> didn't actually jump off a dam, and they sure as hell wouldn't have a stuntman do it. Uh, but, like, the shot of the dummy falling off the dam is a little bit hilarious. Yeah, because Again, it's, just, it's, a, it's a small blink-and-you-miss-it thing where there's this, like, rag doll falling down the... Yeah. All, the, all the dummies always look the same because the 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 torso is heavier than the arms, and so yeah. it, it f kind of folds up in half in the arms. It, it doesn't it doesn't look normal. It doesn't no, look like it somebody's doesn't. falling. It's a, it's an unfortunate uh, unfortunate thing pre mm -hmm. pre digital. Yeah. Uh, I'm jumping ahead. Go ahead. Um, the bait and switch scene. Where, bait and switch scene? Yeah, where we see Kimball being picked up by a female driver 
and then we immediately cut to where we hear that he's that they and they say no names. Yeah. He's been spotted with a woman. Uh, is the car there? I'm like, I loved how it's a bait and switch. Yep, I I, I now know what you're saying. Yep, the, where you think uh, they're going to be raiding uh, the place where he's staying, but yep. as a matter of fact, it's the other escaped convict. Yes. Who uh, I I kind of side with uh, <laughs> with the guy who was uh, who was saved. By the way, <laughs> the guy who uh, uh, he's Newman. one of the mar yeah one of the marshals who uh, was very lucky to survive that attack attack one way or another. Tommy Lee Jones is very quick on the draw and clearly a great shot, but man, like an inch to the left and he is toast. Yeah. <laughs> I'm with Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I fucking love, uh, this is a really fun scene as well. Uh, two parts I like, uh, after he's killed the person and the woman has realized that her lover we don't know fully know their relationship uh is now dead she's screaming and he just stops shut up <laughs> and then outside where newman is recovering from his uh hearing loss and he disagrees with uh gerard's tactics mm -hmm. and gerard just like uh let me take a look at that bad ear and then just leads in can you and then he says a soft voice can you hear me now yeah, I don't bargain. <laughs> I fucking love it. Mm -hmm. I love Samuel Gerard. Chef's kiss of a character for me. Yeah, no, is a excellent character in an excellent scene. Just you know, he'd be a lot less cocky, I think, if he shot his coworker. <laughs> but now he's even more cocky because yeah, he because he shot the bad guy. Yeah. And I love I love that they play up everything about that, like. It's oh, it's it's in the scene coming forward. Uh, Kimball returns to Chicago to start the investigation to try and find this one-armed killer, and he makes the call to his lawyer, and they narrow out the sounds and they realize that he that he's they can hear the elevated train, and he starts talking about Samuel's like he's like he says something's like it's not an elevated train, and then they realize it is. He's like I always knew, I always said it was an elevated train. Yeah, <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Yeah, um, Kimball starts to investigate uh, his murder, trying to track down the person that he knows is responsible, and Gerard and his crew, in an attempt to try to find Kimball, they kind of reopen the investigation so yeah. they can look, basically, kind of learn more about their prey. And so as they're moving forward, they start to realize that there's holes in here that don't make sense to yeah. someone with a modicum of intelligence, unlike the Chicago PD. And this is where Samuel Gerard, I think, says uh, says that isn't, isn't the man a doctor? Yeah. Why would he? Why would he kill his wife for the money for the insurance policy? That makes no sense. Yeah, because <laughs> the I think they say. Well, isn't he already rich? Oh, she's more rich. Yeah. <laughs> Grass is always greener, I guess. Yeah. Um, I like that we get another scare. Kimball's basement suite. The upstairs is raided by the oh, cops. Oh, man. I was like, how the fuck is he going to get out of this? <laughs> this, is, uh, this is one of the things that uh, I really like about this movie is there's a couple times where he's 
just certainly doomed and the movie could the, the movie could use some deus ex machinas and have him be rescued right at the last minute by something outside of his control but often either a the forces that save him uh, are believable such as here where the police weren't even there for him mm-hmm. um or b uh he is genuinely just showing off his brains and uh and his bravery, like such as him on the dam or him escaping from the hospital or sneaking into the hospital. Yeah. It's either his decision-making that saves him or in this particular case, I guess it could be seen as his decision-making here as well. Cause if he had made a run for it when he saw the police, yep. Uh, he would have been caught instantly. So totally. Yeah. Uh, so I, I really enjoyed that. Um, he has infiltrated, uh, Cook County hospital. Uh, in an attempt to try to locate the one-armed man, which has a... I, I can't remember the exact name that they had for the uh, prosthetics department. I, I can't... It was like Neo... Uh, was it Myoelectrics? Thank you. Yep. That's exactly it. Um, where we see a very famous actress playing a doctor. Yeah. Uh, Julianne Moore? Yeah. Yeah. And apparently she had shot a lot more scenes for this movie, which all got cut. For good reason. Yeah, because it was a romantic B-plot, right? Yes. And they realized we can't oh. have this character who is trying to track down the killer of his murdered wife have a romantic relationship with somebody else. Yeah, he'd be having his cake and eating it too a little bit. Yeah. Uh, great scene when he, while well, he's posing as a janitor, he saves a kid's life. Yeah, I, I thought that was a really great addition into the movie to show what a good person he is. Mm-hmm. Like, that is kind of the core of all of this, is that he is a good person, and he would never have done the things he was accused of. So him, this is almost leaving unintentionally a breadcrumb for Samuel Gerard to find. Like, because mm-hmm. Samuel Gerard rightfully asked the question, this man is on the run from the law. Why take the risk of saving this boy in the middle of it all? It doesn't make any sense. Yep. Unless he's actually a good person who cares about people. Yep. And wouldn't be a killer. Which leads us to the next kind of tension-filled moment where Kimball goes to the county jail to meet or to see if this is the one-armed killer uh, where he goes to Driscoll. Uh, I do love the scene when he's going there and he gets on the elevator and a bunch of cops file in behind him and he's just standing at the back of the escalator with a little smile on his face. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hiding, Basically hiding in plain sight. Um, Gerard, once again, closing in on him, like just mere moments behind him at every turn. Uh, the staircase, I, I'm, I don't know why, I'm always a, a fan of a staircase chase. Yeah, um, I... This was sort of a, um, I felt like maybe I blinked and missed something here or something, but that, uh, the scene where I think Harrison Ford is coming down the staircase, mm-hmm. Tommy Lee Jones is going up, it's revealed that it's two separate staircases, right? And that's how they missed each other? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yep. I just wanted they're to all, make they're, sure. They're like on opposite ends of the building? Yeah, but the way it's shot initially, it look, it's edited together to look like they're uh, on a path towards each other yes. and they're inevitably going to intersect. Yeah. Um. The pacing and the editing of this film is just superb. 
Hence, yeah, the editing has been really good so far. Hence the editing uh, Oscar nomination. And yeah. uh, the movie never – the movie only slows down because there's so much action at the front, but the tension and the thrills don't ever really let up. Um, the I love, again, how intelligent uh, Kimball is. Well, he's being chased by Gerard, who is a U.S. Marshal, not a cop. So he's not mm, uh, recognizable by the local police. So when Gerard's chasing him and he, Kimball just tells the cops, this is a man waving a gun. Mm -hmm. So when Gerard comes with his gun, he's immediately tackled. Yeah. Uh, I love Harrison Ford as he's trying to escape through the closing plexiglass gerard tries to kill him mm -hmm. and i love the look of i can't fucking believe he's getting away look on gerard's face when he takes like three shots which if not for the bulletproof glass would have killed him and he just cocks his head like are you fucking for real yeah <laughs> like this, this guy's actually gonna get away yeah I love the exasperated way that he tells them to, to open the glass or to open the doors again. Yeah. Uh, and then Kimball uh, uses the parade, the St. Paddy's Day parade, to escape. Yeah, another moment which apparently was unscripted. They just kind of let Harrison Ford and Tommy Lee Jones just run through the street and do yeah. their thing, right? Really. And no permits. Yeah, no permits. Yeah, they just took the cameras Got some steady cams and followed them around. During the actual St. Paddy's Day parade. Yeah. And that's why if you look at the crowd when they see Harrison Ford, because they had no idea, it works out well because they're just like, holy, is that fucking Harrison Ford? But you can play it as like, is that Dr. Richard Kimball? Yeah. It would make sense. It's has good in-universe reasons for them to recognize this person. Yeah. Um. So that only leaves apparently one more uh, one-armed subject or suspect left, and that's when Harrison Ford goes to Sykes' house. Mm -hmm. um, and this is where he starts to uncover the conspiracy. Now, the, one of the things that I do love about this movie is that we learn about the conspiracy the same time as Kimball does. Yeah, we're uncovering it with him, and we're going on this journey with him. Yeah, because we have no idea at this point what the motivation was for this attack on his wife. Mm -hmm. For all we know, completely random. We now learn that it's not. It's a pharmaceutical company willing to murder a person so they can make billions of dollars. Thus marking, if I'm understanding correctly, thus marking the first time in history that a pharmaceutical company acted in an evil way. Yeah, I think I, that was... I agree. I think and it was the first and only time in, well, that's, in history. Well, that's why it's in a movie, because it's not plausible. Yeah, you wouldn't be able to actually do this in real life. That no. Would, that would never happen. No, pharmaceutical companies have nothing but the utmost respect for human life. They wouldn't life. be allowed to lie about something being bad for somebody's health. Never. never. They would never do that. No. Um, I love that, again, like you mentioned, uh, Kimball, highly intelligent, is leaving breadcrumbs. For Gerard calls Gerard from Sykes house knowing full well that it is going to be traced a subverted trope here that I loved 
so much. I, I thought for sure he was going to hang up the phone right before they could trace the call. And then, oh, man, we he just slipped out of our grasp again. But him hanging up the phone on the counter instead, allowing the phone call to be traced, was such a cool such a cool shot and such a cool twist on the on the trope i really liked it yep really well done which allows gerard because he's a wanted fugitive that gives gerard the legal right to enter this home and Mm -hmm. kimball has left his fingerprints and all the well all the evidence he has at this up to this point right there for gerard to see it is such a great it's so simple yet so elegant in its storytelling mm-hmm. um i can't remember how sykes finds kimball i know he tra- i know he finds out he's somehow at the hospital and then follows him from there um and we get th- the what I love is how kind of realistic everything is portrayed in this mm-hmm. movie. Of course, obviously, the dam jump would be the biggest exception. But we have Harrison Ford playing a heart surgeon. And when he gets into this fight with the one-armed guy, he doesn't know how to fight because he's not a fighter. He's not an action hero. No. So the fight and especially later on when he fights his colleague, it's sloppy, ugly, and not exciting in any shape or fashion, Mm -hmm. as it should be. I did find it funny that you're fighting with a one-armed guy. Yeah, I I wrote a note at this point. Uh, Imagine losing two fist fights to the same one-armed man. (laughs) (laughs) That That would be a blow to the ego. Luckily, he, uh, I believe he actually wins this fight. He wins this fight. Yeah. Uh, what I and, do... and delivers a, a, a classic 90s one-liner in the process. The, you missed your stop. Yeah. <laughs> that is such a 90s one-liner. I love it. Uh, I love that he ditches the guns. He puts them in the mailbox. Um, mm-hmm. One, he doesn't need guns. And two, if he's carrying a gun, he's going to get shot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh he goes to the pharmaceutical conference to confront who he thought was his best friend, Dr. Charles Nichols. But is actually the guy who wanted to have him murdered. Yep. Whoopsie. When he barges in on his keynote speech, I always found it odd that he that Kimball wasn't basically gang rushed by everyone there. Yeah. He's not brandishing a weapon. He's not known as a dangerous individual. He's obviously well known in this community as and most likely Chicago as the you know, the wife killing doctor. But he's not he's not being a lunatic in here. And he's not he has no weapons. So I always just found it odd because you would have a couple in a group that large you'd have a couple heroes yeah did he really think this strategy was going to work like he's really putting a lot of trust in the crowd to believe him yeah right like he's really trusting that the strat the strategy really only works if he successfully outs uh nickels yeah but 
you know, he could just be see he can easily be explained away as some lunatic who just escaped from prison. Very true. Um, so then if he outs himself and they don't believe him and Samuel Gerard doesn't believe him, then he's fucked and he's just completely revealed himself to the public. Yeah. So we get uh, two old men fighting sloppily. Uh, this is definitely not John Wick. We get uh, a pretty sloppy fight uh, that ends in the laundry room with uh, Gerard and Cosmo hunting them down. Uh, Cosmo takes a, a, a takes an eye beam to the face. An eye beam to the face. Uh, he was supposed to die. In the mm -hmm. script, but... That probably would kill you in real life. I'm going to go ahead and guess. Uh, but Joey Pants lobbied for his character to stay alive in the hopes that there would be a sequel. And there was. And there was. And it was worth it. Is that Joe Pantoliano's nickname now? Joey Pants? Joey Pants? Yeah. I love that. Joey Pants. 100% uh, full disclosure, I steal it from another podcast I listen to. But uh, it's... I've heard numerous podcasts refer to him that way, so I think it's a, a very common nickname. Hmm. Cool. Joy Pants. Uh, I love, in the laundry room scene, as we're closing here to the end, uh, Gerard yelling at Kimball the truth, that he knows mm -hmm. everything that's going on. This develops a trust between Gerard and Kimball, because I, I still at this point, Gerard, while... He's probably happy to know that the man he's chasing isn't guilty of the murder he is. He's still responsible for catching him. Yep. And so this does twofold. It allows Kimball to trust Gerard and then also kind of brings out both Nichols and Kimball. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I did find it a little weird in this monologue of uh, Samuel Gerard's of him saying, like, well, I'm either telling the truth or I'm going to kill you. I'm like, why would you even put that in his head? <laughs> why, why did you say that? You were doing so well till that point. I just wondered what was Nichols' plan. Like, after he knocked out Cosmo, took his gun, was he going to kill Gerard and then somehow frame Kimball for this? I guess. I don't know. Mm. Um... One other thing that I love uh, that flips all the tropes in the head, uh, Nichols and Sykes don't die. No, they don't. Nope, they get arrested. Mm-hmm. Taken away. Although Nichols is probably getting, he's probably getting the death penalty. Oh, he's definitely getting the death penalty. Actually, both of them are probably getting the death penalty. Yep. If, if Harrison Ford was getting the death penalty, these two definitely are. 100%. Because, again... When people in the pharmaceutical industry do evil things to the extent that they even do, they always get punished accordingly. Yes, totally. Yeah. Just they like, couldn't put it in the movie if it wasn't true. Exactly. Just like people on Wall Street. Yeah, exactly. Always punished accordingly. Uh, and then we finish the movie with uh, Sammy G being nice to uh, Dr. K. I thought you didn't care. Yeah. I fucking love it. And that's mm -hmm. our movie. That's it. We Pretty, breezed through yeah. it. Breeze movie. It was just a very enjoyable film. Yeah. Not a ton, honestly, to analyze. No. Per se. Just a fun, fast-paced action movie. Exactly. Uh, I got some trivia for you. Sure. Uh, Harrison Ford damaged some ligaments in his leg during the filming of the scenes in the woods. He refused to take surgery until the end of filming 
so that his character would keep the limp. Actors are weird. Yeah. Um, we already said that one. We already said that one. Um, to date, this is the only remake of a regular television series to be nominated for a Best Picture Academy Award. Mm-hmm. Um, this was the first American movie shown in Chinese theaters in over 40 years. Audiences accustomed to local movies were blown away when they saw it, and it became a huge hit there. Nice. As of 2017, this movie holds the record with the biggest number of film editors nominated for the Oscar, with a total of six. Which is surprising, because the editing really is good in this movie. Yeah. Surprising that it was done by that many people. Um, there wasn't enough room for the cameraman to be inside the helicopter with Tommy Lee Jones, so he had to be strapped to the outside of the chopper in order to get the clean footage. That's a fucking nightmare. <laughs> so he's standing on those fucking things outside and strapped so he could get that footage of Tommy Jesus. Lee Jones. The <laughs> Horrifying. Um, you already mentioned the I Don't Bargain speech uh, was written by Tommy Lee Jones. Um the uh, Harrison Ford passed on Jurassic Park to make this movie. Wow. So was he the Jeff Goldblum role? Nope. The Sam Neill role. Mm. Yeah, I could see that. Um and the last note I have, uh, in real life, even half even after having proven he was not guilty of the murder of his wife. Richard Kimball would likely still face prosecution for, among other crimes, robbery and identity document forgery. Even his escape from custody would not be automatically invalidated by his innocence. However, his lawyers would undoubtedly use the fact that Kimball would have died if he had not escaped, as well as the jail time he had already served despite being innocent as mitigating circumstances. That is, if his lawyer can get his shit together. Yeah. Time to get a new lawyer. Uh, some casting what-ifs. Um, Walter Hill wanted to direct it with Nick Nolte starring, uh, but Nolte uh, said he was uh, tired of action movies. Hmm. Uh, Christopher Reeve and Mel Gibson were considered for the role of Richard Kimball. Uh, Gibson was also considered for the role of Samuel Gerard. Okay. Uh, John Voight and Gene Hackman were both offered the role of Sam Gerard. Gene Hackman would have been good. I would have loved that. That would have been great. Um, Alec Baldwin was the first choice to play Dr. Richard Kimball. Really? Yep. That's surprising to me. You ha In the late 80s, early 90s, Alec Baldwin was huge. Yeah. Especially coming off the hunt for Red October. Okay, fair enough. Um, Andy Garcia was considered for the role. Andy Garcia. Why can't I put a name to that or a face to that name? Uh, he was the bad guy in Ocean's Eleven. The oh yeah, this guy. Yep, yep, yeah. And I got three big ones here for you. Okay. First up, Arnold Schwarzenegger was considered to play Doctor Richard Kimball. Mm, God, that would have just been annoying. <laughs> My. Favorite casting what if here? Kevin Costner was considered for the role. I'm sure you would have loved that. I would have. And I, he would have done a good job. I really do like Harrison Ford in this role. I think he's I think he's perfectly cast. Me too. 
But the last one here is one that I really like a lot. Michael Douglas. Yeah, I could see that. This has very similar elements. Uh, very similar elements to the game mm -hmm. that uh, could be included. Yep. Uh, favorite quote? I've got six. Okay. And all of them are from Sam Gerard. That makes sense. <laughs> the first one. I didn't kill my wife. I don't care. <laughs> Next up. All right, listen up, ladies and gentlemen. Our fugitive has been on the run for 90 minutes. Average speed over uneven ground, barring injuries, is 4 miles per hour. That gives us a radius of 6 miles. What I want from each and every one of you is a hard target search of every gas station, resident, warehouse, farmhouse, henhouse, outhouse, and doghouse in that area. Checkpoints go up in 15 minutes. Your fugitive's name is Dr. Richard Kimball. Go get him. Nice. Uh, next up, Newman, what are you doing? I'm thinking. Well, think me up a cup of coffee and a chocolate dome with some of those little sprinkles on top while you're thinking. <laughs> Next up, uh, from Gerard. The guy did a Peter Pan right off of this dam right here. Number five. When I die, I want to come back just like you. Oh, you mean happy and handsome? <laughs> and my last one, from Gerard. I don't bargain. I don't care, and I don't bargain. Both making the list. Nice. What do you got, Sam? Uh, uh, I got... I'm just trying to do some quick reformatting here. Uh, I got four quotes. Okay. Well, shit, Sheriff. I'd hate to see that happen. I guess I'll just take over your investigation. Yeah, <laughs> nice. Uh, number two, the only one of either one of our best quotes that's going to be from someone other than Tommy Lee Jones. Uh, do you want to change your bullshit story, sir? Nice. Pool? <laughs> Pool. Yeah. Um... Number three, ladies and gentlemen, our fugitive has been on the run for 90 minutes. Average foot speed over uneven ground, barring injuries, is four miles per hour. That gives us a radius of six miles. What I want from each and every one of you is a hard target search of every gas station, residence, warehouse, farmhouse, hen house, outhouse, and doghouse in that area. <laughs> I cut off the end of that one. Yeah, but, it's fine. Uh, and then, uh, oh, no, you know what? I put the next quote in the wrong area because I do have checkpoints go up in 15 miles. Your fugitive's name is Dr. Richard Kimball. Go get him. Okay, so I do have that. Okay. So number four actually is, oh, wow, gee whiz, looky here. You know, we're always fascinated when we find <laughs> leg irons with no legs in them. Who held the keys, sir? <laughs> nice. Those are my four. All right. My winner for favorite quote is, I don't care. Oh, really? That's that's it? Yep. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, I am going to go with uh, the uh, warehouse, farmhouse, henhouse, etc. Delightful choice. Yeah. Uh, favorite scene, I've got five selections. I've got the county lockup chase, so that's the staircase chasing. I've got the bus crash and escape. Mm -hmm. I've got Gerard's introduction. I've got the tunnel and the dam jump. And the Kimball starts to investigate montage. Okay. Uh, I also have five. I have uh, the marshals take over the investigation. That's Gerard's intro. Yeah. Uh, I have uh, Richard being interrogated at the beginning of the movie. Oh, nice pick. Uh, the bus crash, uh, Kimball jumping off the dam, and Kimball calling Gerard uh, yep. from, uh, what's the what's the one-armed man's name again? Sykes. Sykes. Yeah, him calling Gerard from Sykes' home. Nice. Uh, my favorite scene is the tunnel and the dam jump. Yep, I'm going with the dam jump as well. Awesome. All right, closing credits. 
Are there any Oscar-worthy performances in this film? Yes, I guess. I I don't really understand the the nomination and let alone the win for Tommy Lee Jones. I've got no problems with his performance. It's just a, a strange choice for sure. But uh, uh, oh. honestly, if I was to pick uh, my favorite performance out of the movie, I might go with Harrison Ford. Uh, although even now that I'm saying that, it's a very different type. He has one better scene than Tommy Lee Jones. Tommy Lee Jones is more enjoyable throughout. That's ah, close. I, I could I could get on board with the nomination for Tommy Lee Jones, but the win is strange. The win is going to be even more strange when we start watching other films. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, like I said, you take out. <laughs> You take out all of his competition, and I love the fact that Tommy Lee Jones wins an Oscar for this role. Mm-hmm. I love it. Is it a better performance than other people in this category? I definitely don't believe so. Mm-hmm. Especially one glowing emission um, in Ray Fiennes. Yeah. Um, there's actually another performance in Schindler's List that didn't get a nomination that I think is spectacular as well. I'll have to have my memory jogged on that one. So taking those out, uh, I love, I, re- I just absolutely love this character. He's a delight to watch. Like I said, I'm a fan of the sequel or spinoff, whatever you want to call it. I think it's fun. Um, I can watch Samuel Gerard and his U.S. Marshal crew hang out and rip each other apart and poke fun at each other constantly. Uh, super enjoyable. I agree. Is this performance worthy of the best supporting actor of 1993? Not even close. But I still love the performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, what other aspects of the film are award-worthy? The... Uh, we commented on the editing quite a lot. It got a nomination for that. Yep. Uh, cinematography, sound editing, sound effects editing, and score. So all that we're missing can't do art decoration, set decoration. Nope. Uh, it's all on location and not a lot of sets. Costume design, nothing there. Nope. Best makeup, not really much. Like some some people get bloodied up, but really nothing to write home about. So yeah, so all the technical aspects of this film that should have been recognized already were. So I think we're good. Yeah, you know, I uh, I will say I don't know if I was super big on the score. Um, like, not not that I felt it was bad or anything, but you know I listen to the score when I'm going over my notes whenever possible. Yeah. And uh, who is it that did this? It was uh, James Newton Howard. I don't know. For some reason, I just uh, I felt very I felt whelmed by his performance. Let's put it that way. Fair. Let, totally let's fair. Uh, or not by his performance. You know what I'm saying. Um, I'm trying to see what other scores he's done. He uh, uh, co-composed The Dark Knight with Hans Zimmer. Uh, did The Sixth Sense. Yeah, so he has good scores. I was just, I was just underwhelmed a little bit by this one. I was like, "What one score this year?" Oh, I know, an absolutely delightful, delicious score from John Williams. Yeah, uh, Jurassic Park, I assume. No. That oh wow, didn't, that didn't even get nominated. Oh, too bad. That's a brilliant score. It is, but it's not as good as the one that won. Is it? Did he do Schindler's List? He did. Okay. I love that score. Hmm. Uh, weak link of the film. Uh, Harrison Ford's lawyer. <laughs> oh, sorry, Richard Richard Kimball's lawyer. <laughs> we'll go with that. 
I love that answer. I'm gonna go with that as well. Cool. Uh, was this anyone's career highlight? Uh, not Harrison Ford because he had Star Wars. You could argue it's Tommy Lee Jones because he won an Oscar for it. I would argue that his career highlight is, from a performance perspective, No Country for Old Men. Hmm. I think his performance in that movie is a lot better than his performance in this movie. Career highlight, Men in Black for Tommy Lee Jones then? I didn't want to say that because it feels gross when we're talking about these other two movies, but that might be it. <laughs> Maybe. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, the case could be made. If somebody wanted to say this is his career highlight, I uh, I wouldn't be opposed to it, especially in light of all the stats we've been throwing around about this movie. Personally, I'm inclined to give it to No Country for Old Men, even though it's less commercially successful. So this is obviously Andrew Davis's career highlight. Yeah. As much as I like Holes, uh, it's not uh, not in the same ballpark. Yeah, he did uh, Under Siege is fun. I've heard the package is really good, mm -hmm. in 1989, and uh, he did uh, a Kevin Costner film that I l really enjoyed called The Guardian. Hmm. Okay. So yeah, this is Andrew Davis's career highlight, and that might be it. MVP of the film. In spite of my uh, sort of bringing down his role, it's probably Samuel Gerard. Oh, it, it's running away. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Easy. Best character in the movie, best written character in the movie, uh, given all the best lines, great performance. Yeah. Uh, what will be this film's legacy? Um, a An out-of-nowhere kind of smash hit of the 90s. I would say. Is that a fair assessment? I would agree with that, yep. Or, or one of the best action films of the 90s. Either of those I'll take. Yep. Um, a surprise hit that this film's legacy will be this is the film that Tommy Lee Jones won the Oscar for. Sure. Yep. Would you watch this movie again? Yeah, this was fun. I fucking, I've watched this movie numerous times. Of course I would. Mm. Would you recommend this movie to friends? I would. I totally would. I think this is a movie that almost everybody can enjoy in some way, shape, or form. If somebody watched this and said, I fucking hated that, I that would honestly shock me. Because I don't... There's not much to hate about this movie. There's not. It's not slow. It's not boring. The acting is perfectly fine. There's no slow points. I, I, I would honestly be... Obviously, there's haters for every movie. Mm-hmm. You know? So I get it, but I, I would be honestly confused. Sam, what are your final thoughts on the fugitive? I pretty much know, uh, pretty much knew what to expect going into the fugitive, uh, just because I'm pretty sure I had seen most of it, knew the famous scene, knew, uh, you know, the performances and everything like that. But you know what? I felt like I uh, got something out of this watch. It was nice to be able to watch it under a critical eye for the first time, and uh, you know. I've not been saying the most positive things about Tommy Lee Jones just because the win kind of baffles me for Best Supporting Actor, but he is a delight in the movie, and oh, he so he fun. has all the best lines in the movie, and he gives these great line deliveries, and uh, I can see why this movie sort of put him on the map to an extent. Harrison Ford we talked about less, but he has more of a, shall we say, traditional Oscar performance, or a, more of a performance that would have 
had a sort of, sort of for your consideration scene in it, I guess. Not that I think he was worthy of an Oscar for this movie necessarily. Not, um, in, not in this year. No, definitely not. But I think he uh, hit the type of performance was a little bit more in line with what you normally see at the Oscars. Um, regardless of all that, it's for an action movie. It is insanely technically well made um, and well acted. So uh, I think this is a movie that is well deserving of its uh, of its legacy. Yeah, I've always been a fan of this movie. It's fun. It has some great action at the beginning. It. And while it slows down, it doesn't become slow or plodding at the end. It just changes its tone and the type of movie it is. It goes from an action movie into kind of a procedural at the end. Yeah. And it's carried it's it's carried by Tommy Lee Jones' performance as Samuel Gerard. He's the one mm-hmm. that makes this movie him and his chemistry with his crew make this movie worthy of a watch and a rewatch if you had somebody that wasn't having as much fun or doing the things that tommy lee jones is doing i could see why this movie would be a hard sit through but we do have tommy lee jones in here giving an oscar winning performance as you'll see at the end of the year sam and i are just laying it out in the first episode we're not picking him to win best supporting actor uh with the hindsight but it's an incredibly enjoyable performance and one that I always thoroughly enjoy watching as well as the uh, less than stellar spin-off side sequel. Mm-hmm. Sam, it's the first movie in our 1993 rewatch. One of 12. It's the first rating you're going to give for a movie in 1993. What do you got for me? This was a strong start to 1993 and a pretty easy four. I definitely had you at a four prior to us talking. Mm -hmm. And then it just seemed like you weren't as excited about the film as I was because I too give it a four. So I had you penciled in as a three. No, I, uh, I think the lack of excitement is uh is frankly uh, maybe i'm just tired tonight i'm i'm i don't know if you can tell i'm starting to feel it towards the end of this one this is a long episode yeah i am i am waning a little it's been a while since we've done an episode of this length i think it's only two hours yeah maybe i'm just getting old we're just it's it's late too old for this shit it's it's late and you and i both had a very long week ain't that the truth my friend all right so that's our thoughts on the fugitive sam what's next week Next week is a movie I've never heard of that was nominated for Best Picture, <laughs> The Remains of the Day. I briefly Googled it now, and it seems very British. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited because I have never seen this movie. Okay, sweet. An opportunity for us to both go into a movie that we haven't seen before. Yeah. I was going to say both go in blind, but I honestly don't know if you know anything about this movie. I know quite a bit. Okay. I haven't seen it, but I know I know what it's about, and I know a few of the people in it and that's about it are we, is it going to be this year's uh gosford park and or secrets and lies i don't know <sighs> god i hope not it feels like there's one of those out of out of england every year just a a snooze of a movie oh uh, this could be the snooze one 
Um, oh no. Well, and that's get it out of the way early. That's why I put it at the top. Yeah. To get, get it, it out, out of the way. way. Yeah. Okay. In all Good. honesty, hopefully uh, I'm more energetic by next week because I might actually just nod off in the middle of an episode next week. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> uh, so please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes to give us a five star rating and a positive review. It does increase the profile of our podcast, allows more people to find us. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Sam underscore Manny underscore movie. You can email us at Sam Manny Movie Podcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Facebook at the Samuel Manuel Movie Podcast. Uh, I am just quickly checking on something, if it will load in time, and it has. I just want to go here, and I'd heard rumors. No, I'd heard rumors that you can now grade um, podcasts on Spotify, but I don't. Okay. I I don't see where it is, so oh, okay. I guess I was lied to. Eh, we can maybe if if we find it for next week, we can maybe go over that. Yep. Uh, so if you do see somewhere that you can rate us, uh, please give us a rating on Spotify as well. It would be greatly appreciated. For the Samuel Manuel Movie Podcast, I'm Manny Manuel. I don't care. I'm Sam Reimer. Adios.